Hi, I'm Samantha, a past guest on C-Jam's HandyLink. You're listening to HandyLink on C-Jam 99.1 FM, reaching high ground in Windsor, Detroit. Sponsored by the Italian-Canadian Handy Capable Association, an organization that provides recreational and athletic opportunities for individuals with disabilities in Windsor-Essex. For more information, check out ICHA on Facebook. I'm your host, Cam Wells. In this segment of our show, we'll hear from Mason Shell, who will be telling us a little bit about BCS MSSA. So, can you tell me a little bit about your work with abuse survivors? Um, yeah. Well, of course, is there anything in particular, or just kind of generally what the agency does and stuff like that? Uh, an overview to uh, start with. Yeah. Okay, so I uh, work with an agency that's a nonprofit. Um, we see male clients that have survived kind of childhood abuse, uh, usually sexual abuse, sometimes kind of violence, uh, torture, stuff like that. Um, we also work with people who've survived domestic abuse as adults, uh, so kind of a different type of work, different type of population. Sometimes there's overlap. Um, the agency itself mostly does individual work, so we do hour or hour and a half sessions with our clients. All our clinicians are trained in trauma-informed uh, practice, uh, yet that said, we have a bunch of different therapists on staff, so they all kind of do the work a bit differently. Some are more body-focused, somatic-oriented, uh, some are more cognitive. Um, we try to find the best fit for each client, but the work is largely kind of allowing clients the space and safety to go into their past, make sense of things, uh, make sense of why they're dealing with kind of certain echoes of their traumas. Uh, as well as kind of the day-to-day, how they're coping, how they're managing, what tools and skills we can build uh, more in the present so that they can kind of manage day-to-day life. Um, and then I always, I always think a big part of the work is also kind of celebrating the person that actually emerges from that. Um, the agency also does group work, which is largely a group of kind of six to eight, ten guys um, that meet. Sometimes they share their stories. Sometimes they just focus more on Again, what I frame as the echoes of that trauma, which could be anything to do with relationship issues, anxiety, stuff like that, uh, just allows them a space to bond, feel connected to people who've been through similar experiences, um, kind of shed that feeling of being isolated in what they've been through. Um, yeah, we run those usually a few times a year, and it depends on which therapists are available and stuff. So, how do you go about reaching out to the affected population to let them know this is a safe space for them and uh, they can find some hope and help? So, sorry, what was the question? I guess the start of that. So, 
How do you go about reaching out to the affected population of survivors to let them know that uh, this is a safe space for them and uh, the treatment that you provide uh, is available for them? Uh, well, it's a good question. Uh, I mean, studies show that if men know there's a program kind of like the one we have, then they do access it. Um, we're, we're kind of in the midst of trying to do a bit more outreach. Uh, like myself, I'm kind of the one that does that outreach, so I do interviews like this. I've been interviewed by kind of radio programs and stuff. Um, sometimes it takes a big kind of story, like recently the story about the professional hockey player. I mean, that gave us kind of some media attention just because people are kind of Google it, I think, and try to figure out what are, what are the resources for men. Um, but most of our clients come from either people trying to find it on their own, largely using the internet and just realizing, oh, there is an agency that kind of explicitly talks about male survivors. Um, but we do get a lot of referrals through doctors, uh, addiction programs, uh, other therapists that don't specialize in this kind of work um, and stuff like that. So in that sense, uh, working with male survivors in particular, do you ever find there are any myths or stereotypes about uh, the strength it would take to get through their problems? Uh, yeah, I, I, like I, I do a two-day workshop, and, and part of that workshop on the first day is talking about the myths and misconceptions, because I think that, um, like I've said before, that I think trauma is trauma. It affects the brain a certain way. Uh, but the cultural framework for this type of trauma specifically uh, makes it arguably more difficult for men. I think that as tragic as it is, being a survivor of sexual assault can be congruent with femininity, whereas for a lot of men, the idea of being a victim of sexual assault feels very incongruent with uh, society's conception of masculinity. So I think there's a a lot of myths and misconceptions. I mean, one would be if I'm abused, I'm then going to go on to be an abuser uh, and, and dispelling that myth and talking about how that's much more to do with the way people grew up with kind of alcoholic parents or instability in the home, stuff like that. Um, what would be if I had an arousal response during the abuse that I was complicit in it and I'm somehow partaking uh, voluntarily, even if I was maybe as young as seven years old, which is obviously a, another thing that's a dangerous kind of line of thought for survivors to go down. Um, uh, and there, the idea of sexuality can come up as well. Someone who's abused by a man can often have confusion about their own sexuality. Um, the idea of being abused by a woman often isn't even framed as abuse. It's more framed as their initiation into sex. So there's a, there's a whole scattershot kind of constellation of different things that uh, not only do people believe that I kind of work with them on during my workshops, but a lot of our clients, I mean, more tragically, also believe about themselves. Um, so, yeah, it's a big topic, the idea that there's a lot of myths and misconceptions with it. So, what are some of the mental health benefits of working with these survivors and getting them to a place where they can actually deal with the realities of it and move beyond? Uh, I, I mean, I, I have personal experience with so many clients now that, I mean, uh, and, and so do the other therapists of our agency, that the, the mental health benefits are quite obvious. I mean, having sessions with one client where you meet them and they're suicidal and they're struggling to figure out what's going on or they, they've attempted suicide or they're in this dark place. Uh, and then maybe months later, maybe a few years later, they're in a place where they have their own place, they're stable, they have a job, they're building relationships. I think a lot of the symptomology that comes from childhood abuse is teaching people that they don't deserve 
kind of unconditional love, that they are a burden on other people, they carry a cloak of guilt and shame. A lot of the processing work is to be able to kind of teleport back in time, give the child that went through something a sense of compassion, um, and build that into kind of their modern lens of things, uh, as well as kind of the more basic stuff around just day-to-day coping. Can you recognize if you're in an anxious or depressed state? What are you doing about it? What are the tools you have that work or don't work? Um, what's going well, what isn't going well, and how you actually can tinker with that. I mean, kind of the more basic therapeutic stuff. Uh, but the, the trauma stuff in particular is largely making sense of their stories, being able to gain power over them rather than being overwhelmed with thoughts of them. I mean, a lot of guys will escape into addiction or workaholic, like that type of thing, because they can't kind of give themselves the time to process this stuff. So I think the therapeutic environment allows that space. So where can people go about finding out more about the work you do? Um, I mean, they'd be able to Google the BCSMSSA, which is a long acronym, uh, but it's called the British Columbia uh, Society for Male Survivors of Sexual Abuse. Um, That would be the easiest way. And our telephone number, if they just want to call and reach out, is 604-682-6482. Thank you very much. Like to thank you for taking the time out to do this, but if you can stay on the line for a sec, that'd be great. In this segment of our show, our friend Nicole Daniel will be giving us a look at her hopes for accessible yoga for the year ahead. This next interview is a post-dated one, so some of the events referred to may already have passed. In this segment of our show, Nicole Daniel will be giving us a look at her hopes for accessible yoga for the year ahead. So, with the new year, do you have any plans for uh, the future of the Accessible Yoga program? Well, and Happy New Year, Cam. I haven't had a chance to say that to you and your amazing audience. Happy New Year. Uh, Cam, I am going to continue to watch these beautiful programs expand. I am so grateful to continue on with ICHA. I just finished... um, this evening's class with the regular group there, and uh, I also continue to teach with uh, community living. I have several group and private classes with them, and I'm also pleased to say, I don't know if you recall, last summer I did um, Camp Stride with the Greater Essex County District School Board. I did a summer camp for their special needs groups, and I'm also... um, going to be doing a new program with them in the spring. They've gotten some funding for some exercise programs, all, all uh, virtual, and uh, just keeping everybody working on their mindful breathing and their uh, really strong posture, and we just have so much fun. We do different rhythmic exercises and different games for working on concentration and memory and uh, I just love expanding more and more into this area of Windsor Essex and you know I mean I guess if you were to ask me what my big hope and vision would be I'd love to you know have more and more people I know some sometimes I get people joining me over in Toronto but yeah I would just love more and more people realizing that uh, yoga, you know, that modified and assisted yoga practices are available to people and just the benefits of them. So yes, yes, yes. I would love everything to keep expanding and 
it just seems to be, and, and it's often just from word of mouth, and of course your wonderful radio broadcasts. Thank you. So I love it, and I'm grateful. So have you taken any new steps toward reaching out to the disability community to let them know this is available? Yeah, I have. You know, and I think, again, like I was saying, I think it's word of mouth. I think it takes people a little bit of time to really kind of think about how this could help maybe themselves or, or their client or their child. Maybe people, when they, when they first hear yoga, they might get images of, you know, complicated physical movements or challenging breathing exercises. And maybe, like, just right away they might think, oh, you know, my client or my child, they might not be able to do that. Yoga probably isn't for them. But, um, you know, I'll just, you know, without, without giving any names or anything like that, I'll just sort of give an idea of a couple of my, my clients that I've had for a number of years now. Um, I have one client, I have a few clients who have extreme limited mobility. I, I have one client who's basically, you know, extremely stiff. She has very, very little movement. We might get uh, some, you know, nodding of the head and, and gestures of such, but really extreme uh, mobility challenges. And I can say, although the increments are tiny and they take a long time they come and I'm seeing such just a beautiful gradual relaxing of tense muscles and joints and also new awakening of awareness of the body uh, I work a lot with people not only on a slow learning to release movements and just starting to get used to new movements but also starting to learn things like you know right hand left shoulder left toes so there's that body consciousness that we work on it's really a lot of mindfulness exercises I use a lot of tones and harmonies to build sort of like a, a sound therapy to a lot of what we do because music and rhythm those tend to really help our mind with cognitive ability to re recall and learn so you know when we start to learn which hand is the right hand which la which knee is the right knee we we really become much more aware of our body and new synapses in the brain start to fire so even when the movements are extremely minimal and it looks like a very barely barely movement practice there's still a lot going on you know there's a lot of recall there's a lot of body consciousness and i'm just seeing such tremendous improvements in flexibility and tone and also awareness of right side left side um so, you know, the ability to recall movements things like that that are just so great for the cognitive abilities so, I'd imagine that use of music and uh, this sound therapy you alluded to would be good for something like autism or uh, mental health concerns as well. Very much so, as well as degener degenerative, excuse me, um, diseases, you know, such as, um, you know, Alzheimer's and dementia. I, I have some clients who are, who are on that path, so... Yes, the music, the clapping, the memorizing of certain like chants and hand movements, it really helps for that recall. 
And, uh, you know, when I see faces light up because they've remembered something that we did last week, you know, it's just so joyous. So, is there anything from the past year that uh, you've really learned as an instructor in having to do things virtually that you hope to carry forward into the year ahead? Well, um, gosh, that's a, a vast, a vast question. I've learned so much. As I've mentioned before, I never imagined I would be an online yoga teacher, and I've been doing that now since March of 2020. So I'm now, you know, almost starting a third year of doing this. So I've, of course, learned so much, not only technically, but, you know, different audio-visual things, um, where to place my body for the best, you know, all, just all that stuff that you learn from doing it and seeing how people respond. But, um, you know, and maybe a lot of teachers would agree with me on this. What I've really learned is when cameras are on and mics are on, we really do feel like we are in person. Uh, I know there's a screen between us, but when I have, when I see all those faces and I can see the bodies moving, I can see how the movements are going, and there's um, replies, and I can hear voices. As a teacher, it helps me so much, and I believe for the students, it helps them to learn so much more. And I know that's something that a lot of teachers struggle. You know, like elementary and high school teachers, they they nod all the time to they're like, "Yeah, hardly anyone turns their cameras on." And it, I, you know, for whatever reason, but it helps so much. Not only for the practice and the teaching, but I believe for our spirit. I think when we're seeing each other. And we can have a little conversation, even though there's a screen between us. It helps our spirit. We're still together. We're still staying connected. And I think that has been the greatest part. And I've got to say, my, my special needs groups, they always have their cameras on. We always chat and talk. And it just makes it so successful and it uplifts my spirit so much. And that doesn't mean to say that when I'm teaching, you know, to a flat screen. I still know there's people out there, you know, some of my u university classes, uh, I, I don't often see a, a face or hear a voice. I know they're out there, and I still do enjoy those classes because I know they're with me, but there's something special, um, and I think something that really makes it successful when the screen, when the cameras are on and we stay connected because that, that's our hearts and our, our minds and our bodies all together, you know? I'd thank you for taking the time out to do this, but if you can stay on the line for a sec, that'd be great. For sure, Cam, and I always like to just throw out the website just so people know how to find my classes or ask me more questions. So it's cocoyoga.ca. If people want to have little, you know, video clips or pictures or articles related to things I do, and it has my contact information, Coco Yoga. So thank you for that opportunity, Cam. My pleasure. Andy Link will be right back after these commercial messages, so stay tuned. Whether you're on the go or staying home, make CGM the soundtrack to your day. Tune into 99.1 FM on your radio or visit cgem.ca to listen live or access past shows. You can also stream us right from iHeartRadio. Just visit iHeartRadio.ca or download the iHeartRadio app. And if you feel like it, connect with us on social media. 
Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all at CGEMFM. Keep yourself close to the music. CGEM 99.1 FM, reaching higher ground in Windsor, Detroit. Welcome back to HandyLink, sponsored by the Italian-Canadian Handy Capable Association, an organization that provides recreational and athletic opportunities for individuals with disabilities in Windsor-Essex. For more information, check out ICHA on Facebook. I'm your host, Cam Wells. Earlier in our show, Mason Shell told us a little bit about abuse survivors, and Nicole Danio gave us an update on her yoga program. In this segment of our show, Sindel Taylor will be telling us a little bit about her efforts to promote heart health awareness. So, I understand your pageant journey is uh, based a lot on heart health awareness. Can you tell me a little bit about what got you into that? I can. So, I just want to take a second, and I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to imagine that you're at work, standing at work, perfectly normal day. And then in walks in your parents and tells you your other parent just suffered a heart attack and stroke. That's exactly what happened to me when I was just 17 years old. My father suffered a heart attack and stroke that left him completely paralyzed on the left-hand side. So ever since 2005, I feel that I've been called to talk about heart health awareness. And I realized that when I started talking about it, talking about it, that it affected more and more people, especially women. And so that's why I feel so strongly about it, because as women, we have to support one another and lift each other up, and that's exactly what I want to do as a title board. So, in your talks about uh, heart health awareness, have you ever run across any myths or stereotypes about it? I have run across several myths and stereotypes. So let's talk about myth number one, which is my favorite myth, is that all heart attacks are the same, or the symptoms are the same. That is actually 100% not true. Women actually suffer different symptoms than men. Typically, as women, we actually may feel like it's a normal body ache, and it can be an ache anywhere in our body. It could be in our chest. It could be in our arm. It could be in our lower back or our abs. And we chuck it up to, oh, we just had a hard day. Or that actually could be a symptom of you having some type of heart attack or mini heart relapse. Whereas men typically suffer the chest pain and the arm pain um, more frequently in that chest cavity. So the symptoms are very, very different. The other thing that I want to talk about is stereotypes. So a lot of people will say, well, it's hard to be heart healthy because good food is expensive. And I believe that that's a stereotype because, yes, I 100% will acknowledge food deserts and food insecurities. However, what I want to suggest is that we, as a generation, can cast a ripple of change. So let's start by our own urban gardening. Let's figure out what can we grow right in our own home that's local to our area. Some things such as green beans, um, even sometimes sweet potatoes, onions can be grown right indoors with a pot and with a, a seed. And as 
human beings, we can actually send these to one another with this fabulous thing called the mail. So we can actually help one another actually try to help these food insecurities and these food deserts by simply getting together and lending a helping hand. It's interesting about that. Uh, when you bring up the point of it being too expensive, you can't put a price on your life. And uh, reducing your risk is essentially a life-saving thing. It absolutely is. And a lot of people think, well, it's going to take all of these things. And when in doubt, it literally starts with just one thing. So take one thing. I just want everybody to take a second and think about one thing in their life, whether it's they want to be healthier. And think of one thing that they could do every single day to make a healthier change. So, for instance, that could be as simple as drinking more water. That's always my number one go-to because most Americans are chronically dehydrated. 85% of Americans are chronically dehydrated. That means 8 out of 10 Americans are chronically dehydrated. When you are chronically dehydrated, your metabolism slows down by at least 3%. And dehydration is the number one cause of daytime fatigue. So all you have to do is drink a little bit more water. And yes, again, I want to acknowledge that there are some areas that do not have clean access to running water. And I go back to, we need to help these areas. We need to, whether it's come up with a water well program or a filtration program and put these into places. And we can do that. One person can start that catalytic change, and we can gather the resources to be able to do that. And that's something that needs to happen so that we aren't running into these places that don't have food, that don't have clean water, and the ability to actually get it. So, in your time promoting heart health awareness, has there been any success you've experienced that stands out for you? Maybe a time when the community was especially responsive and uh, understood the message there. Honestly, I feel like any time I get someone to just open their mind up to easy, simple tips and tricks is a success. But I do have a really um, important event that I think stands out in my mind. And that's when I was able to raise close to $5,000 directly to go to the Go Red for Women campaign for my local American Heart Association in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area. Um, I actually created an, my own event. It was called Style for the Heart, where I had stylists such as myself and the hairstylists actually donate their time and services. Um, and what we were doing is each service had a specific donation if you wanted to achieve that. And all of the money was donated to the American Heart Association. And it was amazing. We had the bake sale. We had a raffle. We had a Chinese auction. Um, it was a really amazing event. And I'm hoping to bring that back here in 2022. Um, but, you know, we understand, again, with COVID that people are wanting to stay safe. They're wanting to stay, you know, sometimes out of the salon. And we want to respect those people um, as well. So... If you could send any message to the community about the need for heart health and uh, just a better, more active lifestyle, what would you say? I would tell them, number one, start by drinking more water. It's one of the easiest things that they can do. My other message that I think is so important is to go and learn hands-only CPR. You can learn it right now after this broadcast 
by going to www.heart.org on the American Heart Association's website, and you can learn hands-only CPR in a matter of two minutes. It will take you two minutes to possibly save somebody's life. So go out there and learn how to do hands-only CPR. That means that you are not putting your mouth up to somebody else and doing mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. You are only doing the compressions. However, if you get an opportunity to learn full CPR, I would love to recommend that. But I do, again, want to acknowledge that we are in the middle of a pandemic. So hands-only CPR can definitely extend somebody's life expectancy by 40%. So please go out and do that. Like to thank you for taking the time out to do this, but if you can stay on the line for a sec, that'd be great. I will. Thank you so much. My pleasure. I've said it once, I've said it a million times, my friends. Disability is not something to be hidden away or shied away from. It is not something that we should have to face alone. Pride, arrogance, and denial will not change the world for the better. Some people might look upon someone who's been through trauma or injury, heart attack, stroke, as being weaker. But for anyone who has lived through that experience, spent time around those who understand the nature of it, they can also come to understand these things can be our greatest strength. They can be a means by which to reach out to society and to tell them that our voices should be counted. We have owned our condition, lived with dignity and wisdom, not despite it, but because we understand it, and therefore understand ourselves that much more. This has been Handy Link. I'm your host, Cam Wells, reminding you we're all equal. So get on out there and have yourselves a good one. Something tells me you've earned it, folks. We'll see you next week.